Ladies and gentlemen, I am Adam Comero, and welcome to the first episode of what is actually the currently unnamed Duke Blue Devils basketball podcast. I'm not sure what I'll title it right now, but when I put it up on iTunes, it may just be Talking Duke Blue Devils Basketball or Duke Blue Devils Basketball Talk or something like that. In the meantime, for this podcast, I am going to do most of these episodes with my buddy Ray Holloman. And as part of his career, he does branding. So he's going to help me try to figure out some sort of official name and we'll go from there. But uh, right now it's currently unnamed, which is kind of funny, but I did just want to get this sucker up on iTunes. I've been doing this podcast for over five years, countless episodes. It's been the Comoros Corner Duke Basketball Podcast or various forms of that off and on. And for some reason, I, uh, I feel like I've been bullied by technology over time and it scares me. <laughs> so I've never gotten it up on iTunes before. But even though I don't consider myself or what I do any sort of brand and honestly just do this for fun, it does make sense to have the Duke Pod be more official and accessible with a better, easier to find name, which doesn't involve me personally. But at any time you can find this, it'll be under the Comoros Corner tree, which it'll kind of branch off that tree like Mike Krzyzewski's coaching tree, if you want to look at it like that. So today... It is uh, at night, August 30th. It's a Thursday. And uh, speaking of being bullied by technology, I did record an episode last night, full episode, and realized I had the mic plugged in wrong. So unfortunately, I had to record again. But hey, it is what it is. And uh, I am happy to uh, restart it. And another thing, when I uploaded, I uploaded like uh, some, of, some of the episodes from last season. Um, to iTunes, for some reason, the uh, season in review episode, it's it's showing up before even the Kansas game. So if you want the season review, you can find it there. The um, the evaluations I did on all the prospects before the draft and then the post draft uh, recap that didn't get up there. If you if you want it up on iTunes, let me know, and I can upload it at a later point in time. So the season in review, um, just look for it. Um, it'll be before the Kansas game, and the draft stuff, just let me know. But that's pretty much go technology. Basically what I'm going to do for this pod is I'm just going to go over the basics of what I saw from Duke in Canada. They took the three-game Canada trip. R.J. Barrett got to play in his hometown and we'll talk about what I can project, what we can look forward to for the upcoming season, what is possibly being overreacted to in terms of the team, in terms of the individual players, what does it mean, and more along those lines. Context is so important for this. I mean, mid-August basketball was what was being played, and we have to keep that in mind. Uh, normally, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even get to see a glimpse of this Duke team till October at the earliest. So everything should be taken with a grain of salt, context. Uh, just a short intro to me personally. In terms of Duke, I've, I've blogged about Duke for a while. Not so much anymore. But uh, over time, I've also blogged about uh, just overall basketball, uh, music, just anything and everything. I consider my specialty individual player projections. I've been doing that forever, especially college to pro. I've done a big board uh, most years. I don't really mess with recruiting. 
to be perfectly honest, I don't like recruiting, especially high level. I stay away from it. And I'm not saying there's not outliers when I have scouted guys in uh, high school. I mean, that's how I was so high on Kyrie Irving, Justice Winslow, Frank Jackson. There, there have been outliers, but mostly I do avoid it until somebody, when they do get to Duke, when they arrive at Duke, that's when I'll start evaluating. That's what I'm doing this year. I haven't seen any of these freshmen. Um, besides Zion, I did uh, watch a couple games, but that's pretty much it. Um, so that's when I'll start evaluating now. And these summer games were just nice to see to get a start. Um, so that's what I consider my specialty in terms of uh, player projections and skill sets. I've blogged and podcasted for some major Duke blogs. I don't do that anymore. I've kind of separated and distanced myself from that type of uh, more so just a kind of a rooting community. I'm here to say it is possible that you can be a fan and also evaluate the team unbiasedly, objectively. I am the proof of that. Some people don't believe that is possible. I would disagree. And that's why I kind of jokingly call myself Duke Twitter Island on Twitter. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at CC underscore Duke games. The CC is short for Comoros Corner. So anyway, I mean, that's pretty much it about me. When I do most of these uh, episodes with Ray, we'll make it more fun because Ray's the closest thing I found to what I do in terms of getting deep into not just uh, what's occurring, but how and why things are occurring, especially in season. I typically do a lot of video, a lot of breakdowns, X's and O's, analytics, but it's not just kind of posting stuff. It's explaining why it's happening. It's, it's involving that context, which is so important, how it's happening and whether it's likely to happen again or whether it should change, that type of stuff, really in-depth. And because of that, I don't, I don't really want to, this to become too vanilla. So we'll add some fun stuff like trivia, Duke starting fives, which is kind of a.k.a. best of, like uh, starting five, your top five games, Duke games, teams, stuff like that. Uh, Ray actually went to Duke. He attended Duke. He wrote for the Chronicle. He's followed the team since the 80s. So, I mean, we could even do a Ray's story time. (laughs) <laughs> like a uh, a Duke back in my day, or I guess it would be back in Ray's day. So basically, we'll just keep playing around with ideas and some stuff, just not to, to make sure everything's not too straightforward. I'll likely do solo pods at times for more thorough player and team evaluations because, I mean, at heart, I am a basketball nerd and honestly love that kind of stuff. Obviously, it's not for everyone, and uh, especially as I've learned on Twitter, it's pretty much for no one except me, which hey, it is what it is. Um, so I'll, I'll give a warning at the beginning of those episodes, but uh, most of them I'll do with Ray. There'll be some episodes I do record with like a beat writer or some other uh, people that might be able to give some insight into Duke. But that about uh, sums up the pod intro. So hey, it's time to talk Duke. Let's do it. All right, as I mentioned, Duke went to Canada, three games. R.J. Barrett got to play in his hometown. Um, Duke has the best recruiting class of all time coming in. But like I said, I haven't really watched too much, if any, um, on the recruits uh, in terms of when they were playing in high school, um, besides the Zion, a couple games. Um, But I'm just pretty much ignoring a lot of that. I am seeing how they play when they are at Duke. So this is... My first chance, and unfortunately, Cam Reddish and Trey Jones were out. So, again, context. Everything should be taken without that. Uh, For what it's worth, um, the little I have seen on Cam Reddish uh, tells me he is Duke's X Factor this year. But, hey, my gut could also be telling me I'm just hungry. So, can't really be sure on that. 
Hey, Ma, where's the meatloaf? No, so it's nice for R.J. Barrett. Got to, he got to play in his hometown. At least I think it was his hometown. What was it? Uh, I want to say Massapequa. That could be very off. But, uh, yeah, I probably sound like a fool there. It's probably not even close. But, uh, anyway, um, it's just some various stuff uh, first. Um, let's see here. Um, in terms of Duke lefties, it's interesting. I, they ha- Ray would be able to say more of the 1980s guys, but besides Johnny Dawkins, I can speak more since, like, the uh, 90s. Uh, I mean, they've had Thomas Hill, Lee Malchione, Josh McRoberts, Taylor King, Elliot Williams, Rodney Hood, Justice Winslow. Uh, Luke Kennard was right-handed, but he did shoot southpaw, so he's counted. And Marvin Bagley. So as far as I'm concerned, I would say Duke has never had two better southpaws, lefties at the same time, better than uh, RJ and Zion. So that's uh, that's pretty cool since I am left-handed. I grew up with a ruler that said lefties are always right. And, uh, hey, I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is no argument possible to, me, to be made there. So uh, I would say the, there's going to be five guys that are pretty much going to do the majority of the scoring. That's the four freshmen and Alex O'Connell. They are also going to be the five guys who can take uh, who can really take their man off the bounce. I'll go into that uh, in a little bit. But so I have given a little nickname to to five other guys and they are going to be the Dirty Jazz because they do all the dirty work. So we got Javin Deloria, Jordan Goldwire, Jack White, Justin Robinson, and Joey Baker, the Dirty Jays. Besides that, let's see here, various, most disappointing. I'm going to say Mike Buckmeyer. Mike Buckmeyer, a.k.a. Charlie Tirefire. He was trash, and the ghost of Nick Pagliuca will not stand for it. And if you think I'm serious, you check yourself, because uh, I think sometimes we get a little too serious about all the, all this stuff. It's just... It's just fun, and what, what, I, what I did with Nick Pagliuca, he was a walk-on at Duke, and I kind of adopted him um, because I, I do such um, thorough evaluations that it's nice just to have a guy that when he gets in, I can be that cheesy fan and just say, hey, go, go, go guy, you score, to do as well as possible, and just have nothing behind it, no evaluations, just pure, just rooting for a kid. And so Mike Buckmeyer, he got to Duke immediately. He, he, he was my walk-on. So uh, Mike Buckmeyer, I would say, he just he just didn't cut it in uh, in Canada. Really, really disappointing. And um, you want to know why I consider it disappointing? Check this out. You 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 think uh, Marvin Bagley might have been the best player on the team? Maybe Wendell Carter? No, no, it was actually Mike Buckmeyer. You think I'm lying? Well, stats don't lie. So let's let's take a look here at Duke stats last year. And uh, per 100 possessions, which is obviously the way to do things, um, you got, uh, you think uh, Marvin Bagley, offensive rating, you think he was the best at 127.7? No. Mike Buckmeyer, 154.2. You think Wendell Carter's 92.8 defensive rating was tops? Nope. Mike Buckmeyer, 92.1. Mike Buckmeyer, he averaged 33.9 points. He averaged 22.6 rebounds, 11.3 assists, just a walking triple-double. Pretty good, no? I mean, the uh, 11.3 personal fouls um, per 100 possessions, that is a little worrisome. But, I mean, hey, no doubt in my mind, he was Duke's best player last year. And if he wants to be Duke's best player this year, he can't have performances like he did in Canada. So, I am, I am here to motivate 
Mr. Mike Buckmeyer and say, I believe he can do better and he will do better. Coolest moment. I will say Brennan Besser, another walk-on. Besser, he gained much-deserved attention starting in uh, late May uh, for walking, uh, for running and biking from Seattle to New York City, 3,400 miles in uh, about 70 days, averaging 50 miles per day as a part of Walk On America to raise awareness and funds for groups that support the intellectual and developmental disability community. Uh, Besser's 23-year-old sister Jacqueline is nonverbal with significantly impaired motor skills. Uh, Brennan, he made the trip in parts with his sister, Rachel, who is uh, the creative director for Walk On America and stopped at nonprofit and community centers along the way to encourage donations. So that's, I mean, that's just a very cool thing to do. If you haven't heard about that or didn't follow it uh, when it was occurring, I would really encourage everyone to check that out. But Brennan hit a three at the end of the first game, and I swear it provided the biggest cheers both from Duke's bench and the crowd, and it was just a really awesome moment. I actually think he slapped the floor after that, and so did the rest of the Duke guys. So it's just one, it's one of those moments which is just way beyond basketball. Uh, most important moment from Canada, I would say it was post-game, after Duke's final game. Um, Jay Billis, who, uh, along with Dan Schulman, I, I do want to commend them. I mean, when you have games that are very much mismatches, I mean, some of them were just blowouts starting in the second half. Uh, they, they made it really entertaining, and especially Billis. And Billis, he does tend to uh, kind of harp on the NCAA stuff sometimes too much. He didn't do that in uh, his Canada coverage, and so when he doesn't harp too much about the NCAA, which I understand at times it is important to talk about and follow along, but uh, he there's not there's not many better than Billis. So I thought they did a good job. But Billis, he asked uh, Zion, Zion Williamson, the biggest thing he learned from the trip, from the games. And Zion's response was that Duke's potential is highest when they are talking and communicating on defense. And the struggles came when talking wasn't evident. And considering I would, I would say that defensive communication was Duke's biggest weakness, that it has been Duke's biggest weakness, damn near every year since they started embracing the one-and-done recruiting era in 2012. I mean, I, I, I guess 2011 to be exact, but uh, I mean, Kyrie's defense didn't hurt Duke since he was out for so long, but then he came back and possibly did hurt Duke's defense against Arizona, but Arizona's second half was possibly – the single most offensively efficient half I've ever seen in my life watching college basketball, and he was great on offense, and I don't want to put the blame on one guy, but uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and it, was, it, was just, it was nice to hear that from Zion, and it was reiterated by R.J. Barrett how important the uh, defensive communication will be. And I think the Dirty Jays will be able to help a lot with that because you think about last year, uh, they didn't have the experience in the Duke system. They weren't on the court a lot. I think the, the playing time among those guys and the confidence in terms of where they need to be in terms of the positioning strategy, I think that will very much help with the communication. Some other team aspects. Uh, there's a lot of wings on this here Duke team, so hey, we should call them Cluck You. Badum sis. There you go. Um, Duke has five guys, as I was saying, able to create off the bounce. Two didn't play at all in terms of uh, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, um, especially, and Trey is expected to be the point guard. Cam, I would say, is likely he'll be the two or the three. And Alex O'Connell was knocked out three minutes in. 
So exhibition or not, the opponent's talent level or not, that was some unexpected pressure for RJ and Zion's first three games, especially during the first game, to be just the focal point of Duke's offense because nobody else is going to be create, be, be able to create. So uh, I thought they handled that very well. The goal seemed to be to get out and run, as it always does during the early season games. And sometimes, uh, we, we've seen recently, that doesn't always ring true during the regular season, but hey, we'll see. And as great as it is to have a go-to inside presence, and in the case of last season, two go-to inside guys, this season I would say should allow more off-ball movement because of the spacing. Um, I did see too much, I would say, shades of the 2016 1-4 high spread ISO. And that's definitely not a good thing when the offense is, that type of offense is based on motion. And there's no, I mean, it's supposed to be based on motion with the motion offense. And there's, there's no motion. The only design is to just isolate the wings to go one-on-one. That 2016 team was uh, Grayson, Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, and uh, Brandon Ingram. And every single offensive possession was pretty much the same thing where they would just go one-on-one from, from a wing and try to, try to score. And the talent was just immense. So the, the, you look at the offensive efficiency, it was still sky high. But I think it just saps the energy a lot. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the best in the long run for the team. And just, I mean, on a personal level, it's not exactly entertaining to watch, although who cares what's entertaining or not. But uh, I think the more movement, the better. I would say, especially with what I would say next, is that while it's impossible to say for sure without seeing the full team, I would expect defenses to zone Duke until they can prove able to hit from the outside. And I know I know you could say the same thing last year about Duke, but I, I would say last year they did have Grayson and um, and Gary Trent, who, who were able to hit from deep, and at times Alex O'Connell, and just the, the offensive rebounds the uh, when Wendell Carter and Bagley got. I mean, it gave them a ton of second chances, so I, I would say it's not quite the same thing. So this team, it really is important. They can prove at least some sort of ability to hit. Um, and then you combine that with, uh, I think, Duke shot less than 50% from the free throw line in Canada, which is not a minor thing. I mean, if they, if they struggle to hit from the outside and then they're driving and uh, they can't really hit the free throws if they're fouled, that's a problem. Again, August basketball, take it with context. But I would say hitting the free throws – that's going to be something to really, really keep uh, to keep track of. Um, the defense was slow to get back in transition, allowed too many open threes. That's just, I would say, typical youth. We'll see how that goes. I wouldn't already jump to any conclusions saying that, oh, they're going to need to play zone defense themselves. Um, I liked seeing the press, as I always do, and it always means nothing when it comes down to it because it's rarely, if ever, used once conference season hits uh, the defense there were shades of 2013 and 14 with Jabari at center not a good thing um I mean maybe so or is maybe a question of whether it will be shades of 2013-14 uh I mean if Bolden who I'll discuss more in uh going over individual players if he can't get consistent minutes or somehow rank um who knows with rank um if they're not on the floor, it's going to be a small team. Or, I mean, Javany's 6'10", but he's not exactly a rim protector. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works. 
Um, that would mean they really need to lock down with their perimeter defense. Um, last team aspects, the annual preseason or early season, Duke has so much depth excitement, which, of course, K will extinguish once the ACC season hits. So it's funny. In terms, it's every single year. So, oh, Duke, is, they're so deep. It's the deepest Duke team. And we'll see. We will see. All right. So let's go to the individual uh, players. So the first, the first thing, and when I talk about narratives going on, I am doing everything possible this year. There's always going to be some kind of fan Twitter stuff that blows up to the point where I don't know if, if worth it is the right word, but I will mention it um, just because if it's what a majority of people are talking about, yeah, it, it is worth mentioning. But the mass majority of what I will mention in terms of narratives and storylines um, is going to be from the media, that, that type of uh, – crowd so let's start first is zion williams williamson fat is zion williamson fat that's funny um it's kind of like uh chris cody anyone who uh watches the uh, levitar show or listens to the levitar show it's really the only sports radio i i do listen to just because it doesn't take itself too seriously uh chris cody he's referred to as fat chris on the levitar show but then um whenever they do whenever they have athletic competitions he always somehow beats the other guys so but either way to, to answer zion williamson fat of course not of course he is not fat um he he's huge i mean there's no doubt about that um i mean he's a 285 pound freshman and in context shaquille o'neal he was a 285 pound freshman it's like what the heck that's nuts um and uh if zion if he arrived in the nba right now i believe there is only one player who weighs more that is uh boban and uh, whoever doesn't know who boban is i think it's boban marjanovic um he is uh, the friendly giant for the detroit pistons boban is awesome um, so, yeah, Zion's huge. I mean, they're, they're, they're really – I haven't ever seen anyone like him. I mean, in terms of uh, comparisons, um, in some forms, there's Charles Barkley, Anthony Mason, Larry Johnson, Sean Kemp, Blake Griffin, and uh, Ray's comparison. I mean, since I'm not doing this one with Ray, unfortunately, I do have to spoil that. It is Rodney Rogers. Um, I would say it's kind of like Sam Perkins if Sam Perkins was the Incredible Hulk. Um, and while that may be a lazy, lazy, lefty, lefty comp, <laughs> lazy, lazy, a lazy, lefty, lefty comp, um, I, I mean, there is some of that. Maybe it's just the, uh, the kind of that set shot three-pointer. But, uh, I mean, Zion's a he's a freak athlete. Um, I mean, I think he dunked from just about the free throw line um, during the pregame of one of the uh, – Canada games I mean his his entire high school he was he was a mixtape sensation there's never been anyone as mixtape famous as Zion so I didn't really care about any of that I just wanted to see if he could play ball and yeah there's a lot of things to be impressed impressed about I mean again with that context in mind the thing that impressed me most about Zion is his anticipation and the anticipation occurred um, in the most positive ways, from what I saw, off the ball on both ends. I actually saw some Dennis Rodman type of rebound instincts, if only for a small sample size period of time and against low-level competition. But it's just amazing how he was able to anticipate where the play was going to end up, and he would, just, he would already be where he needs to be. You combine that with his elite athleticism, and that's freakish. I mean, that's 
where just the Charles Barkley, um, he was able to do that. Him, him and Rodman had incredible defensive instincts since they were undersized. Well, Zion um, battling against uh, maybe seven footers, you could consider him undersized, but it's a big boy. And uh, if he can get in there, once he gets that ball and get in traffic, which he was proven able to do, I mean, that's scary. That's scary potential. So uh, I think that was great on defense. He was able, he, he cheats he cheats a lot. And I think that could help at times. Let's say if Javin Delorier is playing center, I think Zion, what he can do off ball with, with some blocks, that can help because he, he's, he's likely a much better shot blocker than Delorier, even though Delorier is a couple inches taller. So I really liked what I saw with his anticipation, not just like love. I mean, that was, again, the most impressive aspect i would say his body control how he uses the jump stop how he plays off of contact and his up and under is just absurd for his size it's it's amazing and the finishing touch he uses close to the rim i i really it, it was beyond impressive he is a willing passer uh, that's important and good vision and I was talking about the off-ball playmaking on defense, which will be huge if Javin's the center. I think there, there's a ton to like about Zion. I think there is a, there are some high IQ aspects right there, which we'll see how they develop or at least are maintained throughout the season. His weaknesses definitely the handle, um, especially in traffic. I mean, he can get away for he can get away with it just because of the momentum he uses um, going. But I would say when he plays against uh, more. Um, I would say athletic, more bigger, more experienced uh, defenders who will be able to anticipate some of what he does. We'll see how that works out. Um, the free throws and outside shooting, the flat set shot, like Sam Perkins. Um, I don't know how, how that will be. He had, he had a couple the first game, then he didn't. I don't think he hit another in the next two. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it doesn't look pretty, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, the defensive awareness, same as Bagley last season. Um, if, as I was saying earlier, it feels like the Dirty Jays can help Zion with loud verbal communication much more than anyone helped Bagley last year. Bagley had no help. He was just kind of on his own. So if he cheated to get in the passing lanes like Zion tends to do or to make plays off ball, um, you can have someone, let's say uh, a Jack White or a Jordan Goldwire there to uh, let him know his own defender. The guy, even when he cheats, even if he is going to make a play on the ball, the opposing team will see that. And if he loses his own man, that's done. So I would say you got to play the risk versus reward if you're him and know when it's an optimal time to take those risks. The questions, can he be forced right? Uh, everything I saw was pretty much him going uh, left and finishing left. Um, the dribble in traffic, as I was saying, and the defenders I would expect to play pretty far off. So he has to prove at least some sort of ability to hit from outside. And then if he is fouled, which hopefully there won't be any sort of uh, hack of Zion, um, he has to prove he can uh, be a depth from the free throw line. But overall, a lot to like about Zion Williamson. A lot to like. I am not going to crown him like most, but a lot to like. Uh, R.J. Barrett. Um, I would say uh, another lazy, lazy, I almost said lazy, lazy again. Uh, I would say a lazy lefty, lefty comp. Uh, James Harden without the shooting range right now. Uh, the strength is trust. Man, there's so much trust. And that's something that's tough without the big sample size because I, I told you I didn't watch um, much. 
I don't even think I watched any full R.J. Barrett games in high school or AAU. So it's tough to really talk about trust. I mean, the only thing I can do is say I've been doing these player evaluations for a long time, and it's way more than Duke. I do it with everyone. And it's just you see something, you just you know it. Um, in terms of just the fact that he will come to play in every game. Every single game, you know you are going to get max effort from RJ, whether it is a, a elite competition that they're playing against or whether it is going to be uh, the Canada trip. I mean, I never saw any questions about effort. There's nothing there that I ever, ever saw one time. I mean, Zion, there was sometimes he got a little flat-footed on defense, and sometimes it's the same way I said. That's why it's a risky maneuver to evaluate too much from high school because, I mean, some guys just play different. It's kind of like Cam Reddish, the defense his teams played in high school. It didn't involve much activity, so it may look like Cam was lazy at times when it that was just the system. But either way, um, let's see, uh, pace. You cannot speed, or slow, speed up or slow down R.J. Barrett. He plays at his own pace, and that's vital. He was playing point guard a lot, which – I'm not sure if he did that a lot in high school or AAU or any of those all-star competitions, but he looked very, very comfortable. His body control, his passing, especially off the dribble, uh, really, really good at uh, playmaking for his teammates. Really impressive, and that that was probably what I was most impressed about. He, he did have 10 assists in one game, although, I mean, assist numbers, they can – those involve heavy contacts a lot, of, a lot of times. I think it was more just the fact he was able to make plays for teammates off the dribble and get the ball to them in great position. There's a lot to like in terms of how that could work out throughout this season. His feel, uh, his feel is just he, in terms of time in the game, in terms of how the defense is playing, in terms of where his teammates are going to be, in terms of when's a good time to step it up, when he can take a take a I don't want to say take a play off but when he should get others involved really high IQ his mid his mid-range game is fantastic um, he really does a good job of using his defender to his advantage and playing off the contact right there he's an RJ is an active defender as I was saying active just everywhere um, the intangibles are what I was most impressed about with RJ Barrett um, cool, calm, collected, confident. At the same time, though, really intense, hyper-competitive. I would say just in terms of mentality, in a comparison, he's a more alpha version of Tyus Jones. And that's, that's a huge compliment. The weaknesses, context-dependent, I would say athleticism. He's not crazy athletic. Um, I would say you can see that, especially the first step, that is not what you would – it's not optimal. And he telegraphs his moves sometimes with his eyes and with his body, which, I mean, without an elite first step and telegraphing uh, moves, it does allow the defender to anticipate. The handle is a bit sketchy. It's uh, pretty high. needs to tighten that up. Um, I'm, I'm willing to be patient with his outside shot, but there, there's just no reason for him not to be a better free throw shooter, especially considering how often I'd expect him to get to the line. Um, without that elite first step, I mean, the craftiness, that's why I, I say James Harden. He's really crafty. And again, the, these are stuff, these are aspects that I have not seen what anyone else really has said about these guys, at least in terms of in-depth. I mean, it is the Zion fat thing. That's just Twitter. Um, 
I would say questions or will the Drew Hanlon work pay off? Drew Hanlon, he is the uh, the skill development um, guru who worked started off with Bradley Beal and uh, with the St. Louis connection, Bradley Beal recommended Jason Tatum. And while he's worked with a bunch of other guys as well, the Jason Tatum, um, with how elite he's become so quickly, uh, Drew Hanlon has become a big name. He worked with Bamba. Uh, Muhammad Bamba going into the draft. Um, so R.J. Barrett did work a lot with Drew Hanlon during the summer on his outside shot. So hopefully that pays off. Um, I would say R.J. Barrett, he's best in tra- he was best in transition and early in the clock for half-court possessions. So, so now we have to wonder, will he still be as effective against higher-quality defenders when they're set? I don't know. We, we will see. But uh, that's, that's definitely something to keep track of because – with the non-elite first step. But, hey, I mean, that's what you have to consider when it was just him and Zion as the playmakers. So the defense was obviously shading over to those two guys. So it wasn't just the first defender he had to get past. It was many of the other guys as well. But it'll be interesting to see if he can still create and get past um, higher-level defenders who are set um, before – who are set so he can't score early in the shot clock. All right, so that, that's basically the in-depth um, evaluations I'll give. And that's, uh, hey, you should be consider yourself lucky that uh, the, uh, the three guys, I'll count Alex O'Connell in this, who, the other three who can really, who will be counted on to create off the dribble didn't play because I, I do go in-depth on those guys and context-dependent. Um, I mean, once we'll have more of a sample size, There'll be a lot more to work with. Alex O'Connell, as, or a.k.a. Wet Lettuce, <laughs> uh, he had surgery on his orbital bone or some kind of bone near his eye after getting elbowed, I believe. Uh, it was like three minutes in when uh, a player on Ryerson dunked. Um, I would have loved to see. He should be okay by, uh, I believe they said September, which is soon, uh, maybe a couple weeks in, but he should be okay soon. I would have loved to see him get time at backup point guard while he was – he was a great shooter, great, great spot-up shooter last year and provided a ton of energy, especially off-ball movement. I, I would have liked to see if he could have played some uh, point guard because if he can, that, that would be great just to to see how that would work out, to see if his dribble was improved because he his dribble, his handle was a bit weak. I would also have liked to see if he's not still a sieve on defense, if he wasn't playing the Ole defense of last year and could stay in front of guys a little bit better. Hopefully he's gotten stronger and just more comfortable. Um, his uh, best role team-wise may actually be a sort of Vinny the Microwave Johnson coming off the bench considering the second unit scoring issues Duke had last season was pretty was, was, was pretty frustrating at times, and there will be again if they don't have someone who can come off. And I mean, obviously the starters will play the mass majority of the time, but it would be nice to have some scoring off the bench. Uh, Jack White, uh, I remember last year at this time, or a, a little bit late, I think I said November, I said I wouldn't be surprised if he transferred, if he announced he was going to transfer soon, because I believed in Jack White's ability. And I just, I wasn't sure if he'd ever really get a chance to prove that ability because he'd be forever the odd man out in this rotation, in Duke's rotation. So I'm more than happy. I'm ecstatic to be wrong. And hey, he's the best Aussie Dukey since Kyrie Irving. Um, 
there's an article from Mitch Robson, a Canadian reporter, um, about Jack White and Javin Delorier being the key to Duke's title hopes this season. Uh, he described how White's not necessarily he hasn't really taken R.J. Barrett under his wing, um, but he's kind of bonded with him, big brother, little brother, as the two foreign players, which is nice. Despite uh, White saying that when, that basically R.J. laughs at everything he says because of the Aussie accent, he's like, "It's been seven weeks since we've known each other. How does he still laugh at everything?" So that was kind of cool. Um, Jack White, he seems really. I mean, he's really steady, more comfortable in the system. He seemed super trusted by Coach K. That could equal a lot of attempts from deep. And uh, one thing just in terms of trust, I forgot to say about R.J. Barrett, um, in terms of, I, I would say, I mean, just how much you can trust him. I As soon as I saw him, I was like, he's going to be Coach K's BFF right away. And after after the game, when, when I said that, Coach K in his post-game quotes, he was like, I love R.J. Barrett. That's what he finished up with. I mean, it's just so nice for a coach to have a guy on the floor who can almost act like a second coach. And that's that's a high compliment when you're talking about a freshman like that. So, I mean, again, that's the trust right there. So I don't want to say it's the same type of trust um, with, with uh, Jack White, but I think K trusts him just to be able to play the role how and, wh- and be where he needs to be at all times. Uh, Javin Delorier, typical energy, confidence. I would have loved to see him attempt a free throw line jumper or make a play from the free throw line, especially considering he was often who received a pass at that spot as the zone breaker. Um, I would say like Emil Jefferson, he never really developed a mid-range, but he was able to uh, create and score off the dribble and then down low in the post. Javin, I'm not really sure. There were, There was... At times, I mean, he even he got a couple nice buckets versus Kansas in Duke's finale last year. But I'm still, I, I would, I would like to see him. I mean, he didn't even attempt a uh, a mid range jumper, and I mean, he pretty much just finished off plays at the rim. I mean, if that's what he does, I mean, that's going to be very important for Duke. I would just like him to pose some sort of threat or uh, work his way into that throughout his Duke career. He's a obviously a junior right now. Um, he did work with uh, David Robinson in the offseason, or, or as I like to say, Justin Robinson's father, just to bring David Robinson down a notch because that's necessary to do. <laughs> um, so, so he got some work in with the Admiral, um, and uh, hope, hopefully that helps. I don't see how that wouldn't be able to help. Um, and I think, again, just in terms of the, the communication, I think Delorea can help with that. I wouldn't say he seems uber-verbal, uber communicator communicative but i would say he he seems more confident that that's what i'll say it's not just the energy it's the confidence being out there and again that's what these dirty jays uh that's what they bring to the table another one jordan goldwire he is the one player who reminded me of duke's old half court defense which consistently emphasized extended on ball pressure and if he can provide any threat on offense any threat at all I think he can make a big impact if he's given the opportunity, considering what I feel he can provide on defense, his energy, his communication. I mean, that, I mean, I, I love the kid. I compare him to like a, uh, a Steve Wojo who just, I mean, man, they annoy the other team. I mean, the, obviously the point guard, they really annoy him because they're just a pest. And I think J- Jordan Goldwire, he, it may be, he may be being overlooked just in terms of if he can get those minutes – Man, he can he can create some stuff on defense, and if this Duke team wants to get out and run, 
Maybe he is somebody who can uh, allow that to happen. We will see. Uh, Justin Robinson, um, I loved his voice on defense. You could hear him above everyone else when he was in the game. And he'll have a Jack White sort of role, though maybe he can get a minute or two at center if he doesn't get killed. Um, he obviously doesn't play exactly like a 6'10 guy, at least in terms of center. He would be, He is kind of the classic stretch. But overall, I wouldn't expect Robinson to be uh, consistently in the rotation outside of garbage time, mismatches, and outlier situations. I mean, there were a couple conference games last year. I mean, there was the two uh, blowouts against Pitt, and I, I do think he got like 10 minutes against Miami early on. But, uh, I mean, you look at towards the last like 20 games, he really wasn't part of the rotation. But if he can prove able, hey, who knows? Uh, Joey Baker, I barely watched anything on Baker since he committed. Um, but in the little I have seen, his physicality, or really lack thereof, was worrisome. And I actually thought it might be to his benefit if the goal was to redshirt or accept a minor role while building his body during the season um, with, the, with the trainers, with the conditioning, and playing against these elite, strong teammates in practice. I mean, that couldn't hurt. And he would learn the system, and he would be ready to make much bigger contributions next season. While I'd still lean towards that opinion, I did like what I saw out of his jumper. Um, he hit a, he hit a couple threes in the second game. That was nice, including uh, he hit a long two off the bounce, which was really good to see. I mean, that's just I mean that's pure basketball. Uh, the purists gotta love that. Put a smile on their faces. I almost wish he was a few inches taller to act as a stretch four. I mean, he's he's one of the uh, twenty five wings on this Duke team, so between like six five, six eight. Um, I mean, he can he can extend that defense out. If he proves able to consistently hit from deep, if he proves able to handle physicality against ACC opponents, who knows? I mean, he could really create that space, but time will tell. And again, I'd still lean towards the fact he, he will have a minor sort of role or, um, or maybe redshirt. Who knows? Uh, rank and, and you see, I'm saying like, who knows? Time will tell at the end of it because again, context. You can't take too much from these games. What's what you what I saw, which was good. Hey, it's good. I'm not I'm not gonna go overboard with that. What I saw, which is not so good. I'm not going to be overly frustrated or dump on the player for that. All right, so uh, Vrankovic, Antonio Vrankovic. It was cool to see Vrank get a start, and I believe it was either the second or the third game, considering how unlikely it is that he will get another uh, start during the season outside of senior night for Duke, if that. Um, he brought the energy, the positive attitude, as always. Same as Justin Robinson. I wouldn't expect Rank to be in the rotation outside of garbage time, mismatches, and outlier situations. But, hey, when he's in there, he, he uh, you know what you're going to get. Uh, and that's huge. Uh, with K, trust. Communication and Frank, he's the only senior on this Duke team, which is kind of crazy to think about. All right, so now we get to the most, um, I would say, divisive in terms of how people are reacting to him. It might not even be divisive. I think way too many people are on way over towards one side of opinions on Mar Marcus Bolden, Marquise Bolden. So crowning Zion Williamson and deporting um, Marcus Bolden to Antarctica. That's probably like the most ironic August college basketball thing ever. If <laughs> you want to know what's funny, if you go to YouTube and you search uh, Marcus Bolden Canada, um, I didn't watch any of them because I was just looking for clips from Canada because I signed up for ESPN Plus and uh, 
basically just use the free trial and then um, unsubscribe immediately after, <laughs> like I'm sure a lot of uh, Duke fans did. But, uh, I mean, the first video is just last year's highlights, and the second is just what happened to Mar Marquise Bolden um, during the Canada trip. I assume that's some sort of overreaction. Um, but then the third, um, Marquise Bolden, the full Duke preseason highlights from 2016 versus Virginia State with 13 points, 11 rebounds, 5 blocks with 22,000 views. And I would assume everyone was thinking he would be an elite player immediately. He'd be like Anthony Davis or something. That's, you can't take too much out of these early games. Um, I would say, again, since I canceled the ESPN Plus and couldn't watch anymore, I can't really go over each play. And with uh, Synergy, they, they, don't, they didn't have these games available to download. So I couldn't really watch individual plays over again. Um, but I, I will say, keep in mind one thing. Not one thing, just keep the, I'll give a couple things to keep in mind. Last year, he was third in, in, on Duke in win shares for 40 minutes in conference, which means exactly what you think it does in terms of how much he contributed to the team win, despite being stuck in a defensive system that is as poorly fitting as I can imagine. Everything needs context, and I don't take stats as gold, but I trust my evaluations based on the fact that I watch more Duke film than 99.999% of anyone outside the program last year, as well as the fact that player evaluations is what I consider my passion, my skill, and it's proven by years and years of evidence. It's possible he may have disappointed himself in the first game because it did seem like his energy level left a little bit to be desired, um, after that, and to me, energy is something Bolden really didn't get enough credit for last season because everyone's a body language expert and facial expression. Everyone reads too much into facial expression, and I think that would that's been a problem in the past. I mean, with Jaleel Okafor, with uh, Trevon Deval, with um, I, I think it might even happen with Cam Reddish. It's really, really annoying when people read too much into that type of stuff because you don't know what's going on inside of their heads. So uh, my expert take, these people who do this type of stuff, they are not actual experts on body language or facial expressions, although they may have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But anyway, um, so is, do, is Bolton's performance in Canada disappointing? Absolutely, definitely. But do the takes I've seen on Bolton, many from the media, do they have any merit? Hell no, because they offer no context. You can't just say Bolden, he, he played bad, then he didn't play, then he stopped playing. Um, Coach Case didn't start him uh, after that, and that's how it's going to be. I mean, that, that's, that doesn't involve any context. So if you look at his freshman year, Marquise, he was sick during his freshman season and injured. Then last season, he was behind two top seven picks and played pretty much every minute he was given a chance to and played really, really well. He, he showed a ton of improvement from what I saw, yet all I see is for the third straight year, Bolden isn't good enough. He'll be the odd man at. He's a bust. So in terms of his freshman season, yeah, there were some struggles, and there were some off-court, the sixth, um, sick and injured. But what did you want from him last year? That's my big question. Like, Because when he was in there, he was great. And again, the zone defense did not uh, shape up to his um, what I would consider his strengths. I would say he's still he's never going to be a guy that you can just dump the ball down to and say go get a bucket, Marquise. He is uh, very methodical with his moves. He tends to overthink, um, and he brings the ball down a lot. He was stripped 
early on um, in, in Canada a few times when Duke tried to get him the ball early. So that so that was disappointing. But what he provides on defense, and especially transition defense with the arms up, I, I think there, there's just a lot to like from him. And I, I am not saying he will be great. I'm not even saying he, he will be good. But I think what you have to do is take into account everything. And if you are not looking at last season, is a great, fantastic improvement from Bolden. I don't know what you saw. Then you're just basing it on three random exhibition games, and that's just a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, that's the same type of thing as as look as how many looked at uh, Marvin Bagley, how Duke their point differential when when you uh, the difference between points scored and points allowed was like a little bit wider when Marvin Bagley was out for a couple games. So there was the uh, is Duke better without Bagley? I'm like, that's what you're using. I mean, that's the same ridiculousness as the Okafor theory, if everyone remembers that. I mean, it's just, it's the same type of stuff that's happened with Okafor, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. I mean, Jason Tatum. People did not like that guy. As much as you, as much as much uh, everyone likes to say, oh, they what they saw him at Duke and they knew. No. I, I mean, I, it, I was... It was unbelievable. Like, I, I still remember how much I was defending Jason Tatum during that period of time while the media and many Duke fans want him benched and out of the program. I mean, obviously, out of the program was extreme. But, like, they like they didn't want him playing. I mean, the selfish stuff that I heard and the me first and just, he's just good. The NBA doesn't want to be here. He's all about him. It's like, you have to un- – like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to rant about that. I'll say another possible reason why some are down on Bolden is his what they're still thinking about what he was uh, ranked in the recruiting rankings. That's insane to me. That's just insane. So, I mean, why should recruiting rankings matter? They really don't. It only matters to those who worship recruiting experts, quote unquote experts, and watch mixtapes rather than actual games or just don't watch those recruits at all. And the rankings, while I do have respect for those involved in recruiting, it's just the competition level in high school and AAU is just completely different in terms of the roles, in terms of the systems. And it's just, I don't know. It's, I, will, I will say whoever is uh, giving credence to uh, anyone who's down on Bolden be, and says he's a bust because of his recruiting ranking is incapable or just too lazy to incorporate critical, independent, and rational thought into whatever awful evaluation process they use for basketball players. And that's putting it nicely and is a definitely a reason among many why I have some I have issues with recruiting and I just kind of honestly stay away from it. But anyway, um, so Bolden showed huge improvement in his sophomore season. I'm definitely not counting him out to make a huge impact on Duke's season. And I would say there's a lot to hope for in terms of Marquise. And I think Coach K, he's trying to find the best way to motivate uh, Bolden. I mean, uh, I think two months ago, I saw a quote that uh, with K saying Bolden could be one of the best bigs in the country. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a little much. But if, if you think about it, hey, that's, uh, that's, that's Cade being good cop, trying to be supportive, trying to build up Marquise. Now, uh, after I believe it was the second game, Cade was just being realist. He was saying, Marquise, he knows he has to be better. We need more out of him. I mean, that, that's it. And send him, send, he sent a message by sitting Bolden. That's it. 
There's nothing more than that. Bolden knows he has to be better. So it's it's kind of K trying to figure out what type of motivational tactics. I mean, in a way, I mean, I'm not comparing the skill sets or the skill level, but it's the same way, like, even back in the heyday of, like, 90, the 91, 92 days or, uh, with how K would talk about how he would just yell and scream at Leitner and uh, Brian Davis and guys like that. And that's what they responded to best. And he'd have to be, not have to, it was just with Grant Hill, Grant was a little more sensitive. And when I say sensitive, that does not mean weak, despite how the connotation is thought of these days about sensitive. It's just Grant, that's not the way that worked best for him in terms of what motivated him. So Kay would talk to him differently. And everyone responds to motivational tactics in different ways. So Kay is trying to figure out what will work best with Bolden. And hopefully we will not see the bad cop. But, I mean, if that's what fits, if that's what kind of translates to what best works for Bolden, hey, who knows? And we'll see. We'll see. I don't think it's the correct um, take. And I say take because take is what I say when it involves any rational thought. Take is just basically another form of content. Uh, when you say opinion, when you say evaluation, that's real thought that's put into it. Um, I'm not, and so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. If Bolden ends up a non-contributor for Duke, though, this season, it'll sure as hell won't be based on three exhibition mid-August games in Canada. So that that's pretty that's pretty much it on Bolden. I will give uh you you want a uh, a fire take. Hottest of the hottest, scorching fire take. And again, again, when I say take, this is meant to be taken too seriously. But, hey, who knows? I mean, mean, I'll say, uh, you know the Golden State Warriors, their death lineup. Their death lineup with uh, Draymond Green at center where they can really just spread everyone out. Everyone can shoot. I will say it may work best with with Jones at the point guard, Trey Jones, Cam Reddish at the two, R.J. Barrett at the three, Jack White at the four, and Zion at the five. How about that? Duke's death lineup. And you're going to say, oh, why not, why not Alex O'Connell? I, I, and Alex O'Connell could be there at times. But, um, I mean, when you think about it, that would if Alex O'Connell was there, obviously that would move some of the other guys to, um, to different positions. I mean, Jones would still be one, but I would say Alex O'Connell would probably need to be two. And Reddish, he's not the most physical guy from what I have saw. So it, it would end up with R.J. Barrett would probably be at the four, Reddish at the three, and it would just – it wouldn't work as well, and, pl- and Duke really needs that outside shooter. Um, so I think Jack White, he can play the uh, four. That that's, seems pretty natural for him, and especially as a stretch. So I, I think that could be Duke's death lineup. One, one, one more fire take. Uh, <laughs> let's see, uh, UNC, I don't even know who it was, but they got an elite recruit over Duke. So obviously Capel leaving signified the end of Duke's golden age of recruiting. So uh, Kay should just retire now to get ahead of the curve and save face. That's not uh, it's not outlandish, is it? Not at all. All right, so that, so that pretty much sums it up. I mean, well, one more thing on paper. The, the same guy, Mitch Robson, I believe, he wrote uh, in the Jack White, uh, Javin Delorier article, he said, this team is Mike Krzyzewski's best shot at a title since the 2014-15 season. I don't know, man. That seems a little extreme. Uh, I, th- I think that's just the type of thing that's said every year. I mean, when you have what's considered the best recruiting class ever coming in, or some, I think a lot of people consider that, I mean, it's easy to kind of say stuff along uh, those lines, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
one one thing to consider is that last year Duke played two regular season. I mean, they always play the two exhibition games um, early on, and then they and last year they played two regular season games um, before they went to the Champions Classic and played Michigan State. This year, after the two exhibition games, they don't have anything before they go and play Kentucky, and Kentucky's just filthy talented with uh, their experience. They they have everything. I'm not saying Duke won't. Duke has no chance, but man, Kentucky is loaded, loaded. So it would have been nice if Duke had scheduled a, some sort of regular season game before playing Kentucky. That's going to be tough. So that's what, another reason why it would have been nice to see Cam Reddish and to see Trey Jones. I mean, Trey is going to be the point guard. Everyone knows how important the point guard is to Duke, um, especially point guards who can shoot from the outside. Trey Jones looks like his outside shot – it's pretty nice form. The percentages didn't quite equal out to that um, from what I saw, but hey, who knows? Uh, so that, that's pretty much, uh, that, that'll sum up everything. Um, you can find me, just search for Comrose Corner um, on iTunes. But the next time I record with Ray, um, I will have an official name for this uh, Duke Basketball, Duke Blue Devils Basketball podcast. For now, you can find me on Twitter. And Ray, if anyone who doesn't uh, know Ray Holloman, you can find him on Twitter at Ray underscore Holloman, H-O-L-L-O-A-M-A-N. Um, he, he's great. He, uh, he actually also, um, back in the day, he, uh, he worked for uh, the, the old AOL fan house. That was kind of before the Grantland, before the Ringer, those days where writers could have could write with some sort of opinions as well as analysis. So, so he did that. He uh, worked for SI Sports Illustrated for a little bit, so he has plenty of experience. Um, but either way, I mean, we're evaluating Duke. We're going to have some fun with it. It's going to be a great season. It's going to be fun. Um, and you can always find me at uh, CC underscore Duke Games on Twitter. Um you can uh, sign up for this podcast on iTunes, leave a review if you like it. Obviously, not all of them are going to be as thorough, giving breakdowns as this. But, hey, if this is the only podcast I'm going to do for at least a couple weeks, I want to just talk about a little of everything in terms of what I saw, just go down each player and what I feel they can provide in terms of what I saw and what it means. And overall, there's a lot of who knows, but it, it was worth it. It was worth it to get a, – a, an early start on this Duke team because, hey, soon enough it'll be CTC countdown to craziness, and after that it's go time. So I am Adam Comro, um, and it's thank you so much for listening. I will be back soon with a new Duke basketball, Duke Blue Devils basketball podcast. Until then, peace. (laughs) 